0: Thank you, Pastor Darren. It is so nice to see all of you back in church. Uh, we really miss you. And your presence here today uh, has brought a lot of encouragement to all of us who are working today. And for those of you who are watching from home, we want you to know that we miss you as well. We hope that as the government continues to open up the church for us, we hope to see you back in church in due time. Today, we know that the Singapore general elections have concluded. And I want to encourage all of us to continue to pray for Singapore that the will of God be done. Regardless of who has been elected, but more important, our focus must be on the Lord, that God's will be done. Especially in this coming 40-day season of prayer, let's continue to pray for Singapore. Alright? Now, I'm sure that there are many many lessons that we can learn from this election. Um, But for me, one particular learning that really stood up for me is that the selection process of the candidate is never foolproof. Why? Because Jeremiah 79 tells us this the heart is more deceitful than any and all else. It is desperately sick. And who can understand it? Our human heart is so deceitful, even to ourselves. And is desperately sick. Meaning that given this condition of our heart, we can't even sometimes really understand ourselves. How much more to understand others? And how much more difficult it is with this kind of condition to foolproof our faith. How to make sure that we will not go wrong in our faith with a heart like this. The Word of God will instruct us. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come to tutor us to walk in such a way that our faith will be foolproof. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to all of us here, and even for those who are watching from home, that, Lord, that you will open our eyes to see your truth, and that your truth will set us free, so that, Lord, that we can walk in a manner that will be worthy of the calling of God. Lord, we commit this time to you, hide thy servant behind the cross, so that let every word that comes forth be your word for your people today. As we commit all this to you, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Today, I'd like to share with us from Psalms 14 and Psalms 53. Now, why these two Psalms? Because they are actually identical Psalms, all right? Uh, they are in the book of Psalms. You can find them there. They are not repeated because of mistake, all right? The, the scribe, they put them together. They didn't do that by mistake. They are there intentionally for a purpose. They are meant to serve as complementary, all right? Psalms 13, 14 and Psalms 53. These two Psalms are written by King David as he reflected on the fallenness of man and the faithfulness of God. I will expound for us Psalms 14 and then along the way I will highlight for us the difference in Psalms 53. I'd like to invite all of us here to join me and the count of three to read the Psalms 14 together. For those of you watching from home, follow along with us. Alright, at the count of three, can we all read the word of God together? Ready? One, two, three. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You will put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. Yes, has made the Lord bless the public reading of His Word. I will show us from Psalms 14, three things that will help us to foolproof our faith. These are the three things. We need to know the characterization of fool in Psalms 14. We need to know the consequence of faith or lack of faith. And then finally, we need to keep our confidence in God. You see, when we are able to do all these three things, you will foolproof your faith, your foolproof your walk with God. Now before we address the concept of foolproof our faith, we need to first understand what's the biblical definition of a fool. So we come to the first point, the characterization of fool. In verse 1, Psalm 14 verse 1, it's, it goes this way. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt, they have committed abominable deeds, and there's no one who does good. The biblical definition of someone, uh, a fool, is not someone with cognitive malfunction or someone with intellectual weakness, but rather someone who says in his heart, there is no God. What does that mean for us is that a fool is someone who deep down in his heart does not believe in God. It does not matter what he says publicly because deep down in his heart, he does not believe in God. And this can be seen in his life. He is corrupt. He has done detestable things to God. A scholar believed that David was referring to Genesis 6, the condition of man before the flood. Now please note this for all of us. It is not what we say publicly that defines us before God. It is what we say in the secret chamber of our hearts that truly matters to God. Because what we say in the secret chamber of our hearts is what it really matters. It's where our belief system is. I believe that many of us, we have seen people who profess themselves to be Christian, but they live godless life. Because it's easy to say something, it's another to really live it out. And I know that we we have seen uh, Christian bosses who would participate in idolatry practices. Or we have seen businessmen who have invited feng shui master to come in and to channel blessing into their company. Or we know of Christians, or so-called Christians, who participate in sexual immorality. And of course, for ourselves sometimes, we do find ourselves doing stupid things where we know that we should not do them. While we may profess that we believe in God and that God is with us, but sometimes we also find ourselves engaging in sinful acts. Why is that so? Because at those moments, we don't really believe that God is there. Our actions give us away that we don't really believe in God and His reality sometimes. This leads me to point number two, the consequence of faith. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there's anyone who understands who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. The Bible tells us this that the Lord was looking down from heaven to look for believers. And what happened? He found none. He found none, not even one. Now, what the Bible tells us is that men will not seek God on our own. In and of ourselves, we are incapable of looking out for God, if not for the grace of God. Man is essentially bad before God. Romans 3.23 tell us this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 3 tell us, not even one. And this is repeated in verse 1 as well. That when God looked at humanity, there's no one good, if not by the grace of God. Now, let me just pause and highlight these two words to you. Can you see these two words? Lord and God. Why is there a change in word? Is it a typo error? Or is that intentional? I like to submit to us, it is intentional. Alright, because the word Lord in English is actually a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. And usually they are written in caps. Alright, the word God in your Bible, usually refer to Elohim. And a different meaning. Because the word Yahweh speaks of God, it's a personal name of God. It talks about a God who who wants us to know Him deeply on a personal level. He speaks of a God who is absolutely faithful towards us. On the other hand, Elohim is a general name of God. It speaks of God's transcendence and, and His capacity as a Creator God. Now, why is there a difference? It's just like, just picture with me for a moment. If you had to pray this way, Dear Jesus, help me. As opposed to dear almighty God, the one who created heaven and earth. Which one makes you feel more intimate? Dear Jesus, right? It's the same way. So this is the personal name of God and this is the general name of God. Alright, so naturally when we talk about Yahweh, when the, when the psalmist uses the word Yahweh, it talks about the intimate relationship. When they make reference to Elohim, it talks about the the former name of God. Now, why do I want to highlight the difference here? Because in Psalms 14, David used both Yahweh and Elohim. In Psalms 53, he only used Elohim. You may ask me, why is that so? Sit back and I'll explain later. Let me move on to verse 4. Verse 4. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is His refuge. Verse 4, basically God asks two rhetorical questions. The first question is, who eat up my people? Now it does not mean literally. What it does mean is that Who oppress my people? And the answer is the fools. Alright? Then the second question is that, Who do not call upon Him? Who do not call upon Yahweh? And the answer is the fool. Because if the fool will call on the Lord, they are no longer the fool. Alright? Then verse 5, There they are in great dread. They are in great fear. Why are they in great fear? For God is with the righteous Generation. They are in great fear because suddenly they realize God is with them. God is with the righteous generation. The question is, who are in the righteous generation? You are righteous not by what you do. You are righteous by what you believe. In Genesis fifteen six, then he he referring to Abraham. He believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. All right. Abraham was recognised as righteous before God not by what he had done but by by the fact that he believed in God. And the righteousness that you and I can receive from the Lord is on the basis that we believe in Him, not by what we do. But because you believe in Him, you will do the right thing. Alright? Then we move on to verse 6. You will put to shame the counsel of the afflicted but the Lord is His refuge. The word you hear refer to the fool. The fool will mock the afflicted for trusting God. But Yahweh, God is with, is the refuge of the righteous. Here the emphasis is on Yahweh being with the righteous people. Yahweh is with the righteous generation. Yahweh is their refuge. All right? it's the emphasis is on the personal God who is with His people. And as a result of that, there'll be fear for the fools. Now, what about Psalms 53? Alright, let's take a quick look at Psalms 53. Again, I'd like to invite all of you to, if you can, just read with me, with your mask on, just read with me if you can, alright? At the count of three, we'll read together. Ready, one, two, three. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt and has committed abominable injustice. There's no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men. To see if anyone who understands, who seek after God, every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge, who eat up my people as though they ate bread, and have not called upon God. There they were in great fear, where no fear have been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God has rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion when God restore his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Can you spot the difference? Okay, to help you, let me put the two side by side. Now, I know you can't see from where you are seated, alright? But I just want to highlight to you there are two major differences, alright, for these two Psalms. First, the Lord, the four times the Lord, Yahweh, is translated to Elohim. The second differences lies in these two boxes. Alright, I know you can't see, so I'll expand it up for you. Alright, so the first part, For God is with the righteous generation, the Lord is His refuge. Psalms 14 emphasises the personal God who is with His people. Well, Psalms 53 is different. He talks about, for God scattered the bones of Him who encamped against you. Who encamped against you? The fool. You put them to shame because God has rejected them. Who has God rejected? The fool. Alright? So this explains the change of name for us. Because Yahweh talked about a personal God, the focus is on Him being with His people. Whereas on Psalms 53, The emphasis is on Elohim, the almighty God, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who has put in place the law and the principles of uh, His ways to govern the world because He's the creator God. Alright? And because of that, because the law and the principles are in place, the fool will have to face the consequences. Alright? Now, the purpose of Bible study is to help us to know more about God, when you look at these two psalms, Psalms forty and Psalms fifty-three, what can you see about God? Okay, let me share with you two things. All right, Yahweh, God of compassion, He's one that will deliver His people. All right. Well, on the other hand, Psalms fifty-three talk about Elohim. Talk about the Lord Almighty who governed the world through His law and His principles. And therefore, He's a God of justice because He needs to enforce His law and His, His ways. Alright? And as a result of that, the fool will be, destructed, will be destroyed because they do not believe in God. You can see the different aspect of God and His response to faith or lack of faith. Faith pleases God. And therefore, it will invoke supernatural intervention, the deliverance of God. Whereas on the other hand, without faith, the fool will face the consequence of God based on the law and the principles that God has already laid down. Herein, you can see the two Psalms complete the picture for us. On Psalms 14, it shows us a personal God. In Psalm 53, it reminds us of the powerful God a personal God and a powerful God. He's both a compassionate God as well as a God of justice. And the Lord responds to us according to our faith, according to our level of belief. When you believe in God, there will be positive consequence. When you don't believe in God, there can be negative consequence based on His law and His principles. And therefore, for all of us here, we need to learn to know and believe Him as a God who is personal and a God who is just. This brought back a time when I counseled a couple. Um, I remember counseling this couple and uh, the husband was an elder of a church and they caught him in uh, the, uh, having an affair with a leader in the church. And we counseled him, we, we tried to help him Instead of repentance, he he kind of confronted us that we failed to understand him, we failed to appreciate his problems. But on the other hand, his wife endured his unfaithfulness and pleaded him to come home because the children then were very small. He didn't. He continued in his wayward ways, and not long after, he had a heart attack and he died. While on the, throughout the whole process, the wife trusted the Lord and continued to submit himself to the Lord. And we saw God's protection and God's favour on her. She continued to live a happy and contented life after he passed away. In fact, he served the Lord as a missionary in China. God was her refuge as she believed and trusted God. But for the husband, the husband was shamed for his sin. Because God is both a compassionate God as well as a God of justice. The Psalms are repeated to show the different responses of God. He's a compassionate God to those who believe. And He's also a just God to those who do not believe. The fools. Because David believed in God, he had confidence in God. And therefore, in verse 7, He exhibited his confidence in God by making this prayer. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. David has confidence in God because he believes that out of Zion, salvation comes. Now, where is Zion? Zion is a place that they believe where Yahweh stays. All right, he believed that God was save. Salvation basically means save, right? God will save Israel. And not only that he believed that God will save Israel, he also declared that God will restore his captive people. Now the word captive wasn't referring to exile. Because at that point of writing, the people of God was not in exile yet. And therefore, when you search the word captive people, David have in mind people in bondage. In other words, God will set His people free. So this is the kind of confidence David has. David believed that God will, rest, God will save Israel and God will set His people free. And because of that, the people of God will rejoice and be glad. David is confidence in God. And of course, we know that David was also referring to the establishment of the kingdom of God in Zion. Now where is Zion? Zion is actually a hill which the Jebusite has built a fortress. And after David conquered it, he named it as City of David. So the City of David is the same term for Zion. And later on, we also read that the name has been used to apply the whole city of Jerusalem. Also, when you think about Zion, it can be the city of David, it can also mean Jerusalem. And there in the city of David, David built a tabernacle unto God. Now for us, 2,000 years ago, salvation came out of Zion for us, in the form of the death and the resurrection of Jesus at the cross on Calvary. There, the compassion. And the justice of God converged at the cross. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free. Therefore, you and I can rejoice today. You and I can have, be glad today because God has come to save you and I and set us free. Like David, we must have the same confidence in God. Because confidence in God is a sign that we believe in God. And it's also a sign that tells us that we are not fool. How can you and I foolproof our faith? Three simple things for us. First, we need to know the characterization of fool. All right? A fool is someone who does not believe in God. And therefore, all of us here, we must believe in God. All right? Can I repeat after me? We must believe in God. Okay? So, the first thing we need to understand the characterization of fool. Fool is someone who does not believe in God. So, f- to foolproof our faith, we must believe in God. Secondly, we need to know the consequence of faith or lack of faith. Because with faith, you experience deliverance. Without faith, you experience destruction. And therefore, you and I must believe in God. They come to my last point. Not only really, do we need to know the characterization of, fa- of the fool, we need to know the consequence of faith. Finally, we need to keep the confidence in God regardless of what happened. Regardless, even if you are in bondage and you are still struggling, we must keep the confidence in God. We must believe in God. How to foolproof our faith? We must believe in God. I started this sermon by sharing with us about the human heart. The human heart cannot be trusted. So don't listen to your heart, especially in hard times. To foolproof our faith, we must speak to the heart to believe that there is God. I'd like to end this sermon with a video testimony of how someone foolproof his faith by li- believing in God even though he was struggling through his bondage. From his early 20s, Tao Chen could have sex with three to four men a night. Yet the more sex he had, the bigger the void in him grew. He realised he was deeply addicted to sex. He was lost in the ocean of lust and shame stopped him from seeking help. 2014, after 30 years of living in this lifestyle, he felt dirty and he felt that he was not qualified to even come to church for help. But the friends managed to convince him otherwise and he came to church and he was touched by God's word and he accepted Jesus into his life. But his sexual habits did not change overnight until the Lord reminded him from his word. Let's have the video.
1: And God showed me in James chapter 3, look at the horses. You turn the bit and the horse will turn. But look also at the ships. Though they are large ships driven by fierce winds, it is steered by a small rudder. And God revealed to me, for some of us, breaking free from this condition is the experience of the horse. The horse, when you turn, the horse will turn immediately, and the horse will turn completely. For the very large ship that's driven by fierce winds, resisted by fierce winds, when you turn the rudder on the ship, It is turning, and it will turn, and it will turn completely, but it won't turn immediately. And God told me this, my journey was the experience of a large ship. As long as I kept confessing the truth of the word of God over me, that I've been delivered from the power of darkness, my ship is still turning. And that one day, my ship will completely turn. So I stayed in faith, confessing the truth of the word of God over me that I have been delivered from the power of darkness, even though I was still struggling and falling back into sin. He showed me in Numbers chapter 33, he said to the children of Israel, if you do not drive out the remnants, the last remnants of the inhabitants of this land, they'll remain a scourge to your eyes, a thorn in your sight. And God spoke this to me. If I'm not prepared to let go of the last remnant of this desire for same-sex attraction, then it will remain a scourge to my arms and fall on my side for the rest of my life. And when I realised this, that night, the 6th of June 2018, I said to God, I don't want any of this anymore. I want it all out. And when I said that to God, the power of God rushed into me, the grace of God rushed into me. And from that moment on, I knew, I knew that I knew. I have been completely, totally and permanently set free from the bondage of same-sex attraction. I realised that freedom from same-sex attraction is not the suppression of the desire. It's not even the absence of the desire, but it's the victory, the overcoming of that desire. So now, from time to time, I may still be tempted by guys But just as all of us are tempted by random thoughts that come into our mind, I brush those thoughts away. I'm no longer under addiction to those temptations. I'm no longer unable to overcome those temptations. So friends, for those of you who are out there struggling to overcome, you may not see the light at the end of the tunnel, but don't give up. I was there with you. I was there for two and a half years. But the Word of God is true even if you don't see it, stand in faith on what the Word of God says, which is that Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness. And just as God delivered me by His power, by His Spirit, by His grace, He too can deliver you from the grip of same-sex attraction.
0: Yes, I trust that this, that this is a powerful video and I, like, I thought there's some very important truth worth repeating here. One of them is that in God, we can overcome. We can overcome the addiction in our life. We can overcome the bondage in our life. And we need to keep on confessing the truth of God. We need to continue to speak the truth of God to our heart until the big ship in our life can completely turn around. Right? We need to keep on confessing. Because some of us, just like uh, Tao Chen, our life is like a big ship. It takes a while to make the complete change and we need to press in in believing the truth of God. The Word of God is true even when we don't see it. And therefore, we must press on in believing in His Word until salvation comes, until victory comes. This is the way to foolproof our faith in God. Keep on believing in God regardless of the situation of our life. Today, the Word of God has spoken. I know that some of us here, and some of us may be watching this sermon right now. I know some of us, we are struggling in some issue of our lives. And you wonder if God is there. You wonder if even if God is real. I want you to know God is here. And God is real. I'd like us to now close our eyes, bow our heads. I like the keyboard to just play a music for us, but for all of us, take a moment right now and allow the word of God to speak to you. Stop listening to the voice around you. Stop listening to even your own heart and listen to God. God wants you to know He is here. Yahweh is here He is near and He wants to rescue you Holy Spirit we ask of you today breathe life to your sons and daughters for those who are struggling for those who are searching for those who wonder if you are are listening to them Lord speak to them even now speak to their hearts help them to know that God that you are Yahweh you are here you are near and you will save us Lord cause faith to rise up cause faith to rise up and to add to the truth of God so that your sons and daughters may experience salvation today lord i pray all this together in jesus name amen and amen